buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, with the mighty Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly. And as of this recording, which is taking place, uh, recording this part on the middle of April, I am happy and proud to announce that Lady Hyde is now on Blu-ray as a special edition with uh, audio commentary tracks and some special features like uh, a picture reel uh, with music and trailer. And we also have Emmanuel in Sin City as a special edition Blu-ray, also featuring an audio commentary track with writer-director Jason Rudy and um, a uh, photo gallery with music on there as well and a trailer reel. So those are both on Blu-ray. And we have two more releases uh, that I, I've been on a roll recently just kicking ass and building TV, building Blu-rays. Uh, the third one is uh, titled The Short Films of Jason Rudy from 2007 to 2000, I think it's 13 on that one, no, to 16. And it's uh, four short films. Uh, we have um, Room 412, The Last Road to Hell, Chump Change, and The Dirty ABC's Rhyme. And those are four short films, which is about 117 minutes, along with a special feature on that is a interview from about seven years ago that I did uh, called The Creative Process Part 1. And that's an um, audio interview with picture track on that. Uh, so that's pretty entertaining for that. And then on the fourth release is the short films of Jason Rudy Volume 2, which has um, Lady M., not Lady Hyde, but Lady M, and The Hunt for Super Fox, Report 2057, and, let's see, what's the fourth one? Um, oh, shoot, let me think now. Lady M, The Hunt for Super Fox, oh, and then uh, Report, that's three, and then one other one, so you'll have to check it out and see. Uh, recording is kind of late, so I forgot those, but uh, yeah. So you'll have basically uh, each of those, and then of course uh, the creative process part two. Um, that's bug me now. Let's see, it's Lady M and the Hunt for Super Fox. Oh, and then um, Simone La Femme de Mont. So yeah, so you have four short films on each. So basically, uh, you're going to have ten films now, uh, eight shorts and two features as of this recording. And then I'm also probably going to go out and put out the other uh, four films as double feature Blu-rays in the future. But that's when we'll take a little break and get back to editing um, She Knows Ferratu and get that back in the bag. So, yeah, I've been busy here on this side of the microphone on the Desperate Vision side. So I want to get some stuff done and get that out of the way before I uh, start on a new career with a new job. So, yeah. Happy to report all that. Very positive on this side. Hope you all are doing well out there. Uh, I'm doing well on this side because I am now taking a break to do a non-porno film from the master Jess Franco in this part of his career. But it's going to be a short break because the following episode is going to be actually the last one after that. So that's cool for his porno films. So today, though, we bring you 
episode 139, film 150, Esclavos de Crimen. Uh, so, the last one we did was episode 138, which was film 147, um, The Voyeur and the Exhibitionist. So, basically, let you know um, the two that I'm not reviewing, that I don't own, but just to fill you in so there's no uh, spaces you don't know about. Film 148 is uh, The Suckers, Las Chupanas, which is a X-rated film hardcore film and then uh film 149 it was um for the babes warm milk and uh it's another one i don't have but uh it's another x-rated film so i'm gonna go ahead and skip those two and uh bring you now <clears throat> film 150 is clavas del crimen before we go any further of course all information comes from the book flowers of perversion of volume two the delirious cinema of jesus franco by Stephen Thrower. All right, here we go. Esclavos de Crimen, Spanish theatrical title, the English translation, Slaves of Crime. Spain, 1986 production. Production company on this is Herminio Garcia Calvo. I don't know if it sounds like a production company or a guy's name, so I'll go with the guy's name. <laughs> uh, theatrical distributor is Mundial Films. But it says, although picked up for distribution by Moondial, the film appears to not have been released theatrically. Shooting date on this is 1986. No uh, month or anything, just the year. Uh, intended theatrical running time, if it was released theatrically, would be 90 minutes. And the uh, video running time converted for the PAL VHS uh, Spain New World release, 89 minutes, 1 second. Of course, we all know who the writer-director is. Mr. Jess Franco, as this time billed as James Lee Johnson, from a story by Sax Romer. All right, Mr. Fu Manchu himself. Producer, Herminio Garcia Calvo. Director of Photography, Juan Solar Cozar. Camera Assistants, Enrique Diaz and E. Enrique Lopez Casada. Production Manager, Antonio Mayans. Makeup, Mari Carmen Thomas. Uh, art Director, Carlos Spitzer. Music Daniel J. White, and uh, let's see, uncredited camera operator Jess Franco, editor Jess Franco. So, like I always like to do, Jess Franco on this is the writer, the director, the camera operator, and editor. Sounds about right, except he's in new music. So, all right, uh, cast on this, Miss Lina Rome as Sai Chin, Fu Manchu's daughter. Nice. Uh, Marco Moriarty plays Marco Mandel, a private detective. Jose Lamas is Simon, the second victim. Eric Raymond plays Nasmith. Mel Rodrigo plays Jesse, Rocky's friend. Who's Rocky? Doesn't show. That's weird. It says Rocky's friend, but then it doesn't show uh, who Rocky was. Uh, Mate Sumere. And is also in it, and Maria Hill and Yolanda Mobita. They don't have their names in this for their characters. Uncredited, uh, Mari Carmen G. Alonso plays Sai Chen's servant who drugs Jesse slash Angela, Mandel's girlfriend, two roles. All right, uh, let me just go ahead and hit the synopsis on this because it looks pretty short. Fu Manchu's daughter, Sai Chen, requires money to further her plans for world domination. 
To achieve her aim, she arranges for rock stars visiting the Orient to be abducted, drugged, and forced to part with their millions before murdering them and throwing them in the sea. Her scheme relies upon the seductive powers of the women she employs as a cabaret, which doubles as a high-class brothel, including Ginny Lamata, Laura, and Medina, among others. After successfully pulling off the plan twice, first with Rockstar, there is Rocky Walters, and then his friend and bandmate Simon, Sai Chin um, arouses the, suspicious, the suspicions of Marco Mandel, a private detective, Mandel working on the instructions of Naismith, Fu Manchu's greatest enemy. Well, it's actually... Anyway. Um, approaches Jesse, Rocky's gay friend. Knowing that Jesse is distraught after Rocky and Simon, Naismith persuades the young man to get himself abducted with a tracking device concealed about his person so that Mandel can follow him. Meanwhile, Sai Chen receives warning from her father in hell that Naismith is moving against her. All right, review. Inspired, perhaps, by the modest success of John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, 1986, Jess Franco returns to the granddaddy of yellow perils, Fu Manchu, in this occasionally sparky adventure. Esclavas del Cremon tells the story of Fu Manchu's vengeful daughter, Sai Chen, Lina Rome, tastefully adorned with oriental eye makeup, who is determined to follow in Daddy's footsteps but finds herself hampered, rather like Franco himself, by a crippling lack of funds. With Daddy's castle having been seized by the authority in the castle of Fu Manchu, daughter Dearest is forced to start over, scrimping and saving to dominate the world in her father's name. Her ingenuity is impressive. Multi-millionaire pop stars vacationing in the Orient are drugged, seduced, tortured, brainwashed, there you go, and stripped of their wealth, check by colossal check. Once drained, sexually and financially, they're thrown in the sea. An excellent scheme, I'm sure you'll agree. Unfortunately, the process takes so much time, you may find yourself rooting for the victims to escape just to liven things up. We really only need to see this sting played out once, twice at the most. Instead, it happens three times, very slowly, and we find ourselves observing the third journey to ruin with impatience. Granted, this time it's a rock star's homosexual buddy, Mel Rodrigo, posing as the real thing with a wire attached to his bejeweled Jim Morrison belt by a private investigator tailing the operation. But the drawn-out drugging and seduction takes just as long as before. A bit of elation would have worked wonders. Esclavos de Crimon has, pleasing, has a pleasing retro film, but sadly that isn't enough to sustain the film over 85 minutes. There simply isn't enough story to go around. Fu Manchu's gentleman nemesis, Nayland Smith, referred to here as Naismith, observes the action from a shadowy orange grove and, comically, a low-flying jump jet. But he refrains from getting directly involved, perhaps because he looks just about as English as Pedro Adamovar in a Beatles wig. Eventually, he steps into warn Sai Chen that her plan has been rumbled, but his threats make for a less-than-likable hero. You Asians are so stupid, he sneers rather testing the audience's sympathies during the crucial confrontation between good and evil. But 
If a film lacks a plausible hero, there are some amusing conceits elsewhere. For instance, Fu Manchu, now deceased and domiciled in hell, has obviously been getting on with Satan like a house on fire. He's been allowed to cross the threshold between hell and earth, responding physically to his daughter's prayers and warning her about Naismith. From the unjust darkness of internal punishments, I can see that terrible dangers lie in wait, he booms. Unjust darkness? Nice to know that he retains a sense of his own righteousness, even after he's been consigned to eternal damnation. Right now, that's a man with principles. The survival after death of Fu Manchu's spirit is the best idea in Esclavus de Crimen, conjuring images of the world's worst supercriminals living it up in the afterlife, with hell as a sort of gentleman's club for the wicked. If only, if only Franco had created this scenario on screen. The final, I'm sorry, the film desperately needs a subplot. A few scenes set in the ultimate Hellfire Club would have made Esclavus de Crimen a lot more memorable. There wasn't enough money here to book Christopher Lee, not even at his bargain basement 1980 rates, but a star of some sort would have helped things along considerably. Sadly, the supporting cast are unremarkable, mostly newcomers to the Franco stable, probably drafted either from a local strip bar or karate clubs. With the exception of Rome and Mel Rodrigo, the latter of whom was last seen in Sinfonia Eratico, 1979, no one really stands out. Marco Moriarty dangles gamely from hotel balconies, doing his own stunts and karate-kicking Benidorm hoodlums with evidence of skill, but he's a forgettable actor in other respects, a fact Franco seems to acknowledge by giving him as little to say as possible. The remaining cast are similarly lackluster, although the unknown actor playing pretty boy pop star Rocky Walters is easy on the eye. Moriarty might have fared better if he'd been set up as the lead character earlier on. As it is, Franco doesn't introduce the man until half an hour into the story, and even then he's accompanied by a voiceover from silent observer Naismith, which robs him of agency and puts him at a remove from the audience. It's really to the various oddball elements that we must look for amusement. For instance, suspense in the final reel hinges on a rare dramatic concept. Heterosexual private investigator Mandel must rescue Faye gay boy Jesse before he's drugged into heterosexual slavery by Sai Chen's sexy sirens. Not exactly a pulse-pounding climax for majority straight audiences, but full marks for originality. Then there's the bizarre insistence on acting as though Rocky and Simon are members of the Rolling Stones. At first this seems as though it's a kind of a joke, but subsequent dialogue insists upon it. Evidently we're in a parallel universe where Mick Jagger is a dizzy blonde surf boy and Keith Richards looks like Jose Lamas. And side note here, uh, it's, which is funny because in Voyeur and the Exhibitionist, uh, there's a big picture of uh, Mick Jagger on the wall. And then they use some Rolling Stones stuff, uh, album cover, and um, Lulu's asshole arm in uh, between the pricks walks the game. So that's interesting. He must be in a uh, Rolling Stones kick here. All right, back to the text. It's just a pity that the underlying, it's just a pity that underlying this daftness, Franco's habitual denigration of gay characters persists. I'm not a hair-trigger proponent of political correctness, but it's difficult to excuse flagrantly stupid lines like. 
I'm not a hero, I'm a homosexual, and I have the same fear as the weakest of women. Franco may be progressive and anarchic in many ways, but when I met him, he showed me no personal disrespect, but his writing of gay characters is frequently a mixture of Neanderthal cliché and giggling vexuity, something that Esclavas de Crumen does nothing to change. Within the story, the nominal hero Marco Moriarty is unfazed by Jesse's sexual preference, but the characterization is still pretty insulting. It's really quite tiresome and a marked contrast to Franco's enlightened approach to sen- to transsexuals, see Pickup Girls and La Chicas de Tenga, where it seems that a convincing expression of femininity overrides his reactionary instincts. Such matters aside, Esclavas de Crimen is a lot more entertaining than the other films Franco had been churning out in 1985 to 1986. This is faint praise, perhaps, considering that we're talking about the fervy hardcore sex films and such monumentally dull dramas as La Esclava Blanca and Bangkok Chita con le Morete. But there's a sliding scale of awfulness by which we can arrange Franco's mid-80s output, and Esclavas de Crimen avoids the lower depths by dint of amusing central conceit. I'd go so far to say that it's one for the prospective DVD companies to add to their list should the rights for an English-language release become affordable. All right, cast and crew. I can't be entirely certain, given the atrocious videotape quality of the only available versions, but it seems to me that Mari Carmen G. Alonso plays two role, roles. Marco Moriarty's girlfriend, seen briefly driving his car as he arrives into the plot, and then latter as a nude guard at Sai Chen's lair. Music. Although among recycled cues from a variety of Daniel White's scores, the most prominent is a library track called La Folle de Neron from the 1973 album Le Monde Musical de Racine, which had previously been used as the opening credit sequence of El Hundimentio de la Casa Usher. All right, locations. We're back in Benidorm with another visit to the Talk of the Coast Bar, as seen in La Esclava Blanca. Stock shots are borrowed from Franco's Vieta el Bencoc, coffin included, 1984, including material with which Jean with Juan Solar shot on location in Thailand. Cool. That's good. At least he's reusing that footage because it seemed like it was a pain to get that footage. Uh, all right, connections. Esclavas de Crimen harks back to the Daughter of the Dragon, 1931, in which Fu Manchu's daughter, Princess Ling Moi, anime Wong, takes over the world domination business after the death of her father. Lena Romay's character is called Sai Chin, a reference to the actress of the name who played Fu Manchu's daughter, Lin Tang, in Franco's The Blood of Fu Manchu. Well, that's cool. Uh, 1967 in the Castle of Fu Manchu, 1968. Plot-wise, Esclavas de Crumman draws on Franco's The Girl from Rio and Blue Rita with the use of drugs to turn men into sex slaves willing to sign away their wealth for another taste of erotic bliss. Frequent references to the Rolling Stones, the victims are close friends of the band, are intended to bait the film with crumbs of popular culture, but surely the references could have been more contemporary. Sting... Motley Crue and Aha would have been better names to drop in 1986. Uh, I don't know. I'd say the Rolling Stones are pretty timeless, so I think that's a good choice. Uh, the film ends with a familiar refrain, somewhat shorn of its original menace. Instead of, The world shall hear from me again, we get, 
The world shall hear from me very soon. <laughs> Franco evidently decided to change the line for fear of a lawsuit from Fu Manchu rights holder Ari Ellen Towers, but unfortunately there's something comically pathetic about very soon. It sounds like a threat from Monty Python's would-be lion tamer Arthur Putty. Interestingly, Harry Allen Towers himself began hawking around a new Fu Manchu script soon after, which was also, no doubt, due for production very soon, i.e. it never happened. All right, well, that's the uh, text part for this film. Uh, let's see. We'll go ahead and hit the plugs now before the break. Um, there's a donation button on the Red Circle app if you feel the want or the need to tip me or to uh, do either a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation I would sincerely appreciate it any little bit helps of course I do this for free so this is all done out of pocket Um, going back to episodes I think it's 133 to let me go back and just be positive for you so you know Um, what was it episodes 133 to 136 that's like four episodes, have some technical difficulties on some systems. Uh, I'd mentioned it before. We used a different microphone cable on those four episodes, and it turned out not to work. I guess it was a stereo mic cable on a mono uh, speaker. So if you listen to it through like a sound bar or something or through two speakers, it should work. But if you listen through a singular device like your cell phone or headphones on a cell phone, it might not work, so just to let you know. But uh, those aren't the strongest films anyway, so I don't know if we're missing much. I don't think I'm going to go back and re-record those. But partial ones of the episodes work, and the other part you'll hear kind of scattered. So, But uh, it's been fixed since then, going back to this old method, and uh, I've been testing it after each episode, and the last two have worked fine. So Actually, last this is the third one since that, so it's all good in the hood. All right. Um, of course, all the episodes are free to download. Uh, please subscribe if you can. That way you'll get a new episode every Wednesday morning, 1 a.m. West Coast time, delivered to your mailbox or your uh, uh, your podcast uh, deal. So you'll have it all there ready for you. Uh, also, you can subscribe and download them all. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and all of your favorite listening platforms. I think we're on probably about 12 to 20 or somewhere around there. Quite a bit. So, yeah, anywhere you listen, you'll find us. Uh, tell a friend. If you like the show, if you like Desperate Visions, please let people know. Oh, also, too, if you want to order any of the four titles I mentioned, uh, the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1, uh which is the, I forgot to tell you the subtitles. Yeah, the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1, is titled uh, Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions, and the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 2, Demon Dames and Desperate Visions, or Lady Hyde Special Edition, or the Emmanuel and Sin City Special Edition Blu-rays. Please contact me through either the uh, Franco Observer Podcast Instagram page or the Franco Observer Podcast Facebook page or through um, FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com or you can get a hold of me at DesperateVisions at Yahoo.com and I'll give you all the information about how to order those 
through PayPal and being shipped out and all that good stuff will ship anywhere in the world um, these Blu-rays so they're all region free and all that good stuff so you'll have no problems checking them out uh, and like I said I mentioned uh, the Franco Observer at Yahoo.com and I just mentioned the Facebook and Instagram pages go ahead and add those they're always updated quite often so and of course our mission statement is praise and in memory of Jess Franco bringing the names and films of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears and now uh, over 139 plus episodes I think I have fulfilled my mission so um, the next episode was going to be episode 140 Bragata Historia but that is not a Franco film it's actually um, Alan Payette's Inform Infirmaries Perverse from 1978 so that is not a Jess Franco film even though um, Trash Palace had sold it as a Jess Franco film so so now the next episode 140 will be Falcon Crest Falcon Crest ripoff or parody and uh, that's going to be the last X-rated film on the Jess Franco docket and then after that we're going to knock out the uh, 20 more after that and then we're probably going to wrap up this podcast unless we do some non-film um, Franco episodes there's still some documentaries and some things I might tackle we'll see but we'll see what time is and how everything goes out but uh, yeah so hang out and hang on because we got about 20 more episodes which will be about another 5 months and then uh, we'll call it so alright We'll hang out past the break and listen to the review of, Escla of uh, <laughs> Esclavas del Crimen. And uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be a solo review by me or if I'll have a guest, but hang out past the break and you'll be surprised at what you hear. Buenas noches, maja. Buenas noches. We are back with episode 139, film 150, Esclavos de Crimen. And this will be a solo review by myself. And let me just go into where we are at before I talk about this film. Uh, this is a film made right before Fallow Crest and uh, is a regular movie, a non-porno film that he's made in the middle of his uh, porn career. Uh, after this is Fellow Crest, or actually after this is Felistia, and then Falcon Crest, or Fellow Crest, and then he's back to making his regular crazy films after that. So, yeah. Um, I liked this film, but like Stephen Thor had talked about um, in the book, and in the first half of the episode, it does go on a little too long. Um, there was a lot of cool elements, but it definitely could have been edited down. And it's only like 90 minutes. Uh, let's see, actually, how long is this? Yeah, 90 minutes. And it definitely could have been like maybe 75 or maybe 80. It would have been a lot tighter. Um, there's a lot of funny stuff, basically, in this. Um, in a nutshell, it's basically... Dr. Fu Manchu's daughter versus the Rolling Stones is what I would call this um, because it's basically the story of Dr. Fu Manchu's daughter who after his castle was blown up in the castle of Fu Manchu 
uh, one of the late 60s Fu Manchu films that Franco did. This is the uh, aftermath of that, where she talks about her father dying, and she talks to him from hell through meditation, and um, he advises her what to do and stuff. But basically what her plan is, is to basically have a army of women that drug and seduce rich men, take all their money, and then kill them. So, And uh, she decides to go after the Rolling Stones, and there's three members of the Rolling Stones in this film. Fake Rolling Stones, I should say. Um, let's see. Jesse and... Uh, let's see. Jesse and... Rocky Walters and Simon. So, yeah, I don't remember those three as the Rolling Stones, but it's pretty funny. Um, okay, so basically it um, starts off with a ocean and body of water. So we have two things right off our checklist right away. And the credits bill the cinematographer as David Kuhn, K-H-U-N-E, making a return, of course, Jess Franco. And Jess Franco takes the moniker of James Lee Johnson in this. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty funny. We have the guy checking into the hotel. His name's Rocky Walters. And people recognize him. They go, oh, that's the famous Rocky Wal- Walters and his Rolling Stones. Um, he's a keyboard player, I guess, in the Rolling Stones, which is unknown to me. Um, and the woman that seduces him says... Uh, I saw you in the Macho Sun tanning advert. You were naked. And he says, no, I was wearing briefs. So it's pretty funny. He basically checks into the, starts off a movie with a guy rolling stones, checks into the hotel room, and a woman is dispatched, which, of course, is one of Fu Manchu's women, or the daughter of Fu Manchu's women, and she seduces him. And we have our first nudity at uh, 6 minutes 41 seconds, and that character is uh, Ginny LaMotta. And she's one of the uh, soldiers, female servants of the daughter of Fu Manchu. And she starts seducing him. She takes off her clothes and everything, which had her first nudity. And she poisons him with her perfume. And it kind of puts him in this, like, drug state. And he does whatever she wants. And she brings in two other women. And they basically make love to him numerous times and get him into a state where they have him start signing over documents and signing over checks. And they basically... Uh, take all of his money away from him and uh, that's basically their plan so they start getting that into motion which is pretty cool Uh, so it's yeah basically the daughter of Fu Manchu versus the Rolling Stones and um, we have um, a cool so basically Lena is the daughter of Fu Manchu works in this strip club which is their operations place where they pick up the people that they uh, take to the back and smoke opium and get all jacked up and then take the, take them away and then take them to their hideout off off across the sea into this little island area where she stays at like the kind of by the Tropicana Hotel they show so um, yeah so Lena's a, a stripper in the club she wears uh, this like red outfit and we see her doing a strip tease act like twice in this club and uh, I noticed that the locations they use for that, the exterior, is from another film. It's the Bottoms Up Club. I think it's from uh, Trip to Bangkok, Coffin Included. We see that club in that. So it's some of the same footage they shot for those two Bangkok films. Um, Franco, again, uses lots of shooting through objects, shooting through layers. He shoots through, like, beads, uh, bamboo kind of furniture walls type of deals, kind of like bamboo curtains. You see him 
shooting through things, the Kubrick layering of shots. So he does a lot of the layering of shots in this. Um, there's some nice stuff in here that I liked. There's a lot of good, a lot of good characters. Um, the music's good in it, good locations. Um, but like I said, it just kind of drags on a lot. There's a lot of funny, politically incorrect language. A lot of things about people's sexuality and, and them being gay and weak and other things, which is kind of funny because he says, well, I'm gay. I'm only as strong as a woman. It's like, wow, you know, I couldn't get away with that today. Um, so the second person that she takes out is uh, Simon. He's uh, played by Jose Lamas, and he's in the Rolling Stones, too. And uh, so it's funny is I caught something and they didn't talk about it before, but basically the first person that they kidnapped was that Rocky Walters. And after they take all of his money and, and, and uh, he has a hard time breathing, I guess, because of the poison they use on him and they throw his body in the swimming pool of the club. And I thought, oh, that's kind of jacked up because uh, Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones died in a swimming pool. So it's like, Oh shit. And it was before this too. So they have a dead Rolling Stone floating in a swimming pool. So I was like, yeah. So that was dead rocking the pool like Brian Jones. Um, so the third Rolling Stone in this, his name is Jesse. And he kind of looks like Robert Plant. He's got the long hair, no shirt, with like a vest and like these trousers and beads and stuff. And uh, the uh, Marco, who is the secret agent that works for Neil, uh, what's his name in here? Um Nay Smith, Neil Smith, uh, Marco is like the secret agent guy that works for him, and he kind of belittles this guy, uh, Jesse, the third Rolling Stone. He says, uh, oh, you have a gay look, and I don't like your, your music, and I don't like your voice. And he like basically puts him down and tries to like establish his uh, superiority over this guy from the Rolling Stones. And um, it's funny, they do a lot of Rolling Stones history thing, because like, like I said, the guy floating in the pool... And then also the third Rolling Stone, the the uh, Marco, the the hero agent guy goes, "Oh yeah, I know you can't go to the police for help because you were in trouble for drug trafficking, which they had that problem with the the British police and drugs and stuff." So I was like, "Oh, that's kind of fucked up." So they talk about that. Uh, they kind of mix that in as well. And he basically fills Jesse in, like, "Hey man, we know what happened to your two bandmates." I want you to go undercover. You're going to wear this belt that has a wire on it that can transmit all the messages. And I can follow you if you wear this belt. And he wears this belt to the whole thing. And like they don't, uh, the females from Fu Manchu don't pick up on this, this uh, hidden wire inside the belt, which is really weird because he can wear it all the way through and it's never discovered. They could just take that belt and throw it away. But for some reason they let him wear it the whole time. But uh, so he goes to the club and he gets really high and he's like smoking out of this opium pipe and he goes, oh, it's like a flute. And he starts playing it. And they're like, no, 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 be silly. It'll be silly. And uh, so he, they get him jacked up and take him away, put him on this boat. And meanwhile, the Marco, the hero, is following him, his transmitted device, and they know where they're taking him and, and they can listen to what's going on the whole time. So I guess this, this uh, belt is a speaker system uh, with a microphone I mean, a microphone on it and a tracking device. So it's interesting. Pretty pretty good for just a little uh, kind of a thin belt with these little circles on it, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's like I said, he smokes the club as well, and they get him messed up and take him away. They basically get him all drugged out. And uh, 
so I thought it was cool. There's a scene where Lena's, oh, as Fu Manchu's daughters, like a Sai Chin, uh, yeah, Sai Chin, she always uh, prays to the Fu Manchu statue, and we only see the rear of it. And there's a lot of nice shots with the sun, uh, kind of optical shots Franco uses in this to create like a haze. And she speaks to Fu Manchu, and we hear the voice of Fu Manchu talking to his daughter and saying, but be careful that there's forces against you and all this thing. And he kind of warns her about the problem that's going to be going on. Um, so as she starts to realize some things, she dispatches more agents. And one of the women starts rubbing this balm on the body of Jesse. And basically this balm has a poison on when she rubs it into his system. It feels really good at first, but then it starts sinking into his skin and into his system. And it slowly poisons him over time. Um, and then we have basically Lena talks about how she became the way she was, uh, how she started her whole business is basically after the castle of Fu Manchu, she was kind of wandering on the beach and she was picked up by a man and his wife and, uh, in a car when she was hitchhiking and they take her back to their, his place. And he basically locks her in this, uh, room and she can't get out. And she kind of wanders the ground. And then this man's bodyguard, this really overly muscled guy, grabs her and basically rapes her for a few days. And then she makes her way out of it. And uh, she wanders the beach and meets up with the man's wife and says, hey, you know, I got this plan. Um, I want to hire you. And I'm going to basically start this operation where I get these women that work for me and we'll take these men, seduce them, and start taking all their money away from them and, and build my own empire and, and start controlling the world. So she basically goes through the whole thing. And uh, what's cool is uh, Lena's palace area, she's like a couple floors of this hotel or whatever it is, she has a woman that's uh, topless but wearing a bikini bottom and she holds a machine gun and kind of stands out front of her place, which is a nice visual. It's kind of cool, a topless gal with a machine gun. Um... This movie also features a few karate scenes. There's a scene where Marco the hero is warned to get off the island or he's going to be killed and he has to fight a muscle man and another guy. They have a pretty good karate scene. And then later on when he storms the grounds of Fu Manchu's daughter's palace, he has to, after he grapples, throws a grappling hook over the wall and scales into the place, he has to fight this guy with a karate match. So it's a, Definitely a better karate sequences than in the previous few uh, Franco films that feature karate. Um, and basically, in the end of the film, we have Neil Smith, who's like Nayland Smith. And he has this situation where Franco uses stock footage of this fighter jet flying. Then we see him inside the plane, of course, as a different location. And then we cut back to the footage of the plane flying and he's shooting the palace of where Lena's character is. And we have the camera shaking and stock footage of some explosions. And then the camera tilts to show that basically to imply that the palace was destroyed by this uh, fighter jet shooting rockets or whatever at the place and blows up the compound. And uh, we think that Lena dies in there. But then at the end, she says, uh, the world will hear from me soon instead of you will hear from me again, just like the end of the Fu Manchu films. So it's uh, pretty nicely wrapped up there with her character kind of keeping the motif of the Fu Manchu deal where it's the uh, the rules of the Fu Manchu film. Like I said, uh, 
it's a little too long if they would have. I liked them going through the three different people. I'm not complaining about that. I just wish the in-between scenes were a little quicker. Um, he uses a lot, a lot of nice location shots from the Bangkok films. He reuses a lot of that. The music's really good in it. Um, but it's just some of the scenes linger on a little too long, and uh, the pacing's not as good. So the editing could have been a little tighter. Um, but it, it did remind me of uh, something like The Girl from Rio or uh, his other Fu Manchu films. And, and it wasn't bad. It was definitely one of his better films of this period. But it could have been better. Um, the print I watched was, of course, a gray market DVD that's taking off. That's taken from the uh, film print. So it has that nice uh, kind of 16 millimeter film look, but captured onto VHS tape. So, yeah, it wasn't a bad copy. So I was happy about that. Um, all right. Well, let me go through and knock out this Franco list. Kind of going a little bit quick on this one because there's really not a whole lot to talk about. As you notice, if you listen to a lot of these, these solo reviews are usually a little bit quicker than the reviews with a guest. There's less, of course, back and forth because I'm solo on these, but uh, try to nail everything as we go through, take notes, and uh, find out things that might be of importance to you. Um, this film I got through, I think the site was called Eurocult Trash, but unfortunately the owner of that was the guy that used to work with uh, Video Search Miami and he since passed away uh, Craig so um, I know you can't get it through there anymore but you might be able to get it through um, Trash Palace I'm not sure but it's also maybe on file sharing sites as well I don't know because I don't really do those but um, I'm sure it's through that it's it's not a hard film to get per se if you look for it you can find it um I would recommend it, I guess. It's not one of his best ones, but it's if you're going through this period of films and you're a Franco completist, of course you want to watch it, and it's definitely better than some of the past porn films that are from this area. It's got a good story. It's 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 got some good stuff to it. Um, a lot of funny dialogue. Um, decent locations. Of course, a lot of hotel shots. He's Franco seems to be sh- loves shooting in hotels for some reason. I don't know. I guess he stays there with the crew and then able to shoot, use it as a location as well it might be just a cost cutting thing but uh, yeah he seems to write that in a lot of his films is shooting in a hotel should be that should be one of the things the Franco list is this film have any hotel scenes yes that'd probably be a yes on so much so well speaking of the Franco list here is the Franco Observer Podcast Checklist this is a checklist that I put together since the early days of the Franco Observer podcast. Now we're on episode 139, so this has been tried and true, and this paper is one of the original ones I printed out, and it's pretty worn and tattered, but it's still beaten just like me. So, All right, number one on the list, body of water. Yes, it starts off, of course, with a body of water, and it starts off with palm trees, so we have those right off the bat. There's quite a few body of waters in here. Um where Jesse's boat is docked. We have the water there. We have, of course, the water when they're transporting the people out to the island. Um, it's quite a few water shots in this film, actually, so it's very nice. Number two, sailboat. Yes, the very, very end of the film, we actually have a, a boat with a sail on it. A lot of boats in the film, which is number three on the list, but yeah, a sailboat is only the very end. I was going to say no, and then right at the very end of the film, like the last two minutes, we have a sailboat finally. Uh, number three, like I said before, boats. Yes, plenty of boats in this film. 
Number four, palm trees. Yes, they are palm trees in this film aplenty uh, all through the compound, beginning of the film. Um, quite a few palm tree shots, so that's very nice to look at. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. Um, jungle, not much per se, but like wind and uses other nature sound effects of the area and the land and the island and stuff. So, yeah, there's sound effects, but maybe not jungles per se. Uh, number six, chained up person. Yes, uh, one of the women that betrays uh, Sai Chen is uh, tied up and whipped, flogged, and killed. So there is a chained up person scene. Number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. Yes, uh, we have Lena's character, Sai Chen, wears a red uh, kind of a garters and bra and underwear type deal. And she's uh, seen her stripping twice in the uh, club scene. So, yeah, there's definitely two dancing scenes on stage stripping. And, of course, it's Lena. Lena does a good job in there. She's, like, uh, dancing on the stage and going out into the crowd. And there's, like, this uh, kind of a drawing or painting on the wall of this kind of, like, Asian guy with a sword. And I don't know if it's supposed to be Fu Manchu or what, but she kind of rubs it and, and interacts with this uh, painting on the wall. So it's pretty cool. Uh, number eight, club scenes, dancing in a bar. Clubs, people dancing in a bar. Well, I don't know. I mean, it could say yes because the strip club, there's people dancing or there's people drinking, but there's not really like, there's not scenes of other people dancing, like a club, like a dance club, um, just the strip club scene. So I'll say yeah, maybe no on that. Uh, number nine, jazz music. Yeah, there's actually a nice, especially during the strip club scene, there's some nice jazz music in this. And then a lot of um, playing on a harpsichord. I guess it's a harpsichord. It's like a, like almost like a, uh, a seated kind of a guitar flat down that they play with strings. I don't know if that's that called, but it's got that cool like ring, 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 ring kind of music. So very, very cool. Uh, which goes with our other numbers too. Uh, number 10, excessive zooms uh he does some zooming out from the places but not a lot of zooming in zooming out zooming in zooming out um he pulls zoom out quite a few times but not crazy so i'd say no on that uh number 11 out of focus shots no everything's pretty good with this uh the only time he uses out of focus is when somebody starts being passed out or kind of being in daze and that's used for that effect so i don't i don't count that uh, number ele- or number twelve, mirror shots. Not really. Uh, there's some nice reflection shots, maybe one or two, and then there's one or two mirrors in a hotel, but nothing too crazy. It's not a big point of contention. Nothing that means anything in this. So, uh, number thirteen, mind control theme. Um, I'd say yes because they're under the control of the like poison uh, perfume and the stuff they rub into them and what they smoke and stuff. They're under. Sai Chin's control, so yeah, they would they'd be mind control of that because they're they're helpless be, be beneath her poisonous herbs and stuff. So yeah, not herbs and spices, but just herbs. Uh, yeah, maybe some spices and so we'll see. Uh, Fifteen red light. No, there's no physical red light shots in this. Nobody bathed in red light. Nothing like that. Uh, number sixteen, sheepskin rug. No. And masturbation with a letter C item. No, nothing like that in this one. Uh, pretty pretty tame when it comes to that part. Uh, number 17, mad scientist and servant. Well, if you count Lena as the mad scientist, as the daughter of Fu Manchu and her servants, 
then yes. And I guess she could be a scientist because she develops these poisons and things that they use, the lotion with the drugs in it and the perfume drugs and stuff. So, I mean, yeah, she's physically, I guess she's technically a scientist because Fu Manchu was Dr. Fu Manchu and that's her daughter. So I'm sure she's was trained in that way. So yeah, I'll, I'll count that. Uh, and then she has plenty of servants, the women that serve her, that takes care of the men and kills them eventually. Uh, 18 fish tank shots. No, there's no fish tank shots in this. Um, nothing like that. No shooting through fish tanks. 19, talking parrot. No, there's a birdcage inside of um, this woman's room, the hotel room, but definitely not a talking parrot. And number 20, in credits, yes or no. Uh, it says Finn, F-I-N, at the end. There's no named credits because he usually doesn't do that, but it doesn't just end with a blank screen or a black screen either. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. yes for Finn, F-I-N. Uh, number 11, handwritten notes, kind of signs, anything funky. No, everything's pretty proper in this we don't see anything weird um we see the tropicana hotel and the clubs and stuff regular signs nothing made for this film uh 22 spiral staircase shot no no spiral staircases in the houses in this film 23 inept cops no you have the uh detective who's good on his case and uh the neil smith character is fine he does his job and takes care of things so yeah no no inept cops in this uh, 24, belly chains. Nope, nobody's wearing a belly chain that I caught. Although the print was pretty soft, but yeah, I, didn't, I didn't catch it. Uh, number 25, kinks. Well, we have the S&M with the whipping scene at the end. Um, then we have... Uh, that's really about it, really. Maybe the stripping voyeurism, but uh, not really. It's it's pretty tame when it comes to that. Just a lot of just some nudity. Um, yeah, actually, there's a few gals naked in this. And uh, that's about it on the kinks. Nothing too crazy. 26, great headboards. I uh, didn't catch anything. Actually, I didn't really look too closely, but nothing caught my attention. So I'm going to say no on that. Uh, number 27, fear or desire. I will say desire because she desires to rob these men of their money. Her desire is money and power, and uh, she takes control of that. And it's her desire to take out the Rolling Stones. Um, it's funny, too, that he chose the Rolling Stones because uh, I mentioned in the earlier part with Voyager uh, the Exhibitionist film done before this, there's a Mick Jagger picture on the wall of her apartment. And so I don't know if he decided, oh, let's just go with the Rolling Stones. I mean, this is, what year is this? Uh, 86. So, yeah, they'd be kind of like kind of a quiet period too for the Rolling Stones 86 that's before like steel wheels and all that stuff so it's interesting uh let's see number 28 acoustic guitar player well there's an acoustic instrument that lady plays I mentioned that seated kind of a sitar kind of a um like a almost like a steel guitar thing I don't know what it's called like a like a um a harpsichord or something so yeah I'd say the acoustic instrument of that type it's similar to guitar so I'll say yes 29, reading a book scene. No, nobody reads any books in this that I caught. No scenes of them looking through anything and him focusing on the book title or it doesn't mean anything to nothing. So I'll say no. And finally, number 30, pee scene. No, nobody talks about I have to go pee or they're peeing or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I think I will say no on that one. So 
uh, yeah, so there we are on that. So this was uh, episode 139, film 150, Esclavas del Cremon, which is called Slaves of Crime. And uh, yeah, so I guess the slaves are the Rolling Stones, the fake Rolling Stones. So interesting that two members of the Rolling Stones are killed in this film, and one of them lives. So that would be interesting, because... As far as I remember, at this time, only Brian Jones had died. Since then, we had Charlie Watts has passed, and uh, Bill Wyman, I believe, has passed. And uh, so there's less Rolling Stones than there used to be, but not at this time. There was only Brian Jones, so it's interesting. So, uh, Oh, yeah, actually, I think uh, well, the other guy, too. Um, uh, shit, I forgot his name. But anyway, so yeah, the guy played on uh, up to uh, There's Only Rock and Roll. Um, I'll remember it later, but so, yeah, so yeah, so there's, uh, like I said, again, Fu Manchu's daughter versus the Rolling Stones would be a good, uh, sub title for this film, but that's what I would do. And I would remake it as that type of thing. Almost like killer Barbies versus Dracula. Very similar later on, I guess you probably took this as the inspiration and updated it to that deal. So, alrighty. Well, uh, like I had mentioned before, we have, um, Lady Hyde on Blu-ray, we have Emmanuel and Sin City on Blu-ray, and we have the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1 and Volume 2 on Blu-ray for sale. Uh, the short films of Jason Rudy is basically almost two hours long, well actually over two hours long with the special features and everything, uh, and those feature four short films and a audio interview, Part 1, and the other one is short, four short films equaling about 117 minutes along with a 30-minute interview as well on that. So, yeah, over about two and a half hours of content um, all put together by me on Blu-ray. And if you're interested in picking those up, you can reach out to me on the Franco Observer Podcast page on Facebook or the Franco Observer Podcast page on Instagram. Or you can drop me an email at francoobserver at yahoo.com or desperatevisions at yahoo.com and uh, I will sell those to you and ship those to you in the United States. If you're listening to this outside of the United States, um, the manufacturing company that produces my movies, they will ship from there, I believe anywhere from the world and uh, we can take care of you on that situation as well. So yeah, if you're interested, get a hold of me and I will send you those Blu-rays out to you and uh, you'll be supporting me, you'll be supporting independent films, and you'll be supporting the Franco Observer podcast. And uh, it's always good to support little independent filmmakers because they're not uh, multi-death national corporations, and you'll be supporting the little man. So it's always good to take care of the little man because uh, we all are little people in a giant world, and uh, it's all about helping each other out. So once again, thank you for listening to this podcast, and I will see you on episode 140, which is a hoot, and that's uh, Fellow Cresto, with uh, my guest reviewer on that, Miss Colisini from Los Angeles, California, and uh, we recorded that episode before this one, and I will tell you, it's a very wild episode, and one that I will never forget, so be on the lookout for that, and uh, hope you enjoyed this. Buenas noches, maha. Mm-hmm.